Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the STC Fit Learning Podcast. Uh, very special guest today, Thomas Lilly from Zero, um, hosting us in his gym, which is sick. Very yeah, much enjoying downstairs. Yeah, they, they're not going to get the idea because they see this filthy upper storage room. Yeah, yeah. You can imagine downstairs is a really cool gym. We'll um, see if Tam can like Photoshop the back of the gym <laughs> into the video or something. Um, so I guess where we lead off with all the guests, just like how you got into training, how you got into coaching, um, what your like powerlifting career and stuff has been like. Uh-huh. Um, just give us a rundown of your own, I guess, training to start with. Yeah, sweet. So I started uh, started playing around with weights when I was about 14 years old. I was a really big fat kid and I just wanted to lose weight. So we, my dad and I found a, an old shitty set of rusted out uh, plates on the side of the road, grabbed them, painted them up, bought some barbells and started training at home. Nice. Um, eventually that led to me getting into the gym and uh, I, the basis of my training was always around squat bench deadlift, uh, mainly because I followed loosely a program out of the Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. Oh, Still yeah. one of my favorite books. Yeah, I've yeah. got that book too. Mainly just yeah. for the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that like, that, uh, that past uh, motivation. You look at it and you're like, fuck yeah, I used to look at this every time before I went and trained. Anyway, yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah and then uh, I, I started getting stronger all the time and I, I thought there was something to it and I really wanted to do weightlifting. Uh, but the weightlifting club was kind of out of reach and really expensive as a yeah. like 15, 16 year old yeah. kid. Yeah. I didn't have a car. It was far away. Dad worked. I couldn't get there in any way, shape or form. So um, I actually started looking at between strongman and powerlifting, just getting involved on forums and being aware of these things. And I, I tried to register for a strongman comp, uh, but it had filled up and entries had closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next best thing was a powerlifting comp. So I registered for that. And uh, the rest is history, I yeah, guess. Right. Yeah, right. Without uh, trying to date you, but when, how long ago would that have been? So I did my first powerlifting comp 12 years ago. Yeah. 12 it's years strange. ago. Like, I wouldn't have even known what powerlifting was. 12 years ago. When I was like 14, 15 years old, yeah. I did not know what powerlifting yeah, was. Yeah, well, in Australia, neither did many people. Yeah. You know? It was kind of like the dark ages of powerlifting back then. So I did that comp. Uh, I was uh, competing in uh, freestyle BMX at the same time. So it was kind of toiling between the love of both. I had a bad spill on, on the bike and decided that my uh, future with university was probably more important than uh, yeah. doing backflips on bikes. So yeah. kind of decided to put that to the side and, and focused on lifting. So in between my first comp and my first sanctioned comp, I did a couple of like little local comps, but I also did this stupid uh, Guinness World Record. I broke the Guinness World Record for the total amount of weight squatted in 24 hours, uh, which is, it sounds cool, but it's Stupid. It's a <laughs> dumbest thing. What's involved in that? Just squats <laughs> for reps for hours. So it how just, much did you have to get? The record was fifty five thousand kilos. Okay. And I broke it at seventy thousand. Oh. So then you have to submit your uh, your evidence for verification, and, and that process takes about three months. And in that three months time, uh, someone else broke it to a million pounds. Mm-hmm. So. A lot more than I did. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got like a recognition letter. I didn't get a certificate and name in the book and stuff like that. But yeah. Uh, anyway, the, how long did that take to recover from? <laughs> like a week and a half. Yeah. Each, each training session was about four hours straight of just sets of ten. So squats at a ten, start at eighty, and slowly go down to sixty, and just keep doing sets of ten, two minute breaks, sets of ten, just conditioning, I guess. Yeah. It was horrendous. I bet. So, <laughs> um, I've had three hip surgeries and I kind of attribute my hip problems as starting back then. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it wasn't a smart thing. 
<laughs> so I did that, and then uh, I decided, okay, well, powerlifting's pretty cool, because at the same time as doing that, I'd gotten into running for some stupid reason. Uh, I decided <laughs> powerlifting's cool, so uh, I did my first PA comp. Uh, I can't remember the year. I think it was 2008, mm-hmm. something like that. I um, did a couple of PA comps, and then uh, PA wasn't uh, very appealing to me back then. It was very small. This is like before RAW existed, so it yeah. was just powerlifting, and it was equipped, and the weight classes were different. Yeah, uh, The crowd was very small and clicky, um, so it kind of put me off a little bit. And then uh, someone in the strongman community told me about a new gym that had opened up in Brisbane, a powerlifting gym. They were running a novice comp. I went and did that. That was PTC Brisbane. Scott Watson, he became the vice president of GPC eventually. Yeah. So I kind of fell in with that crowd and uh, yeah, here we are now. Yeah. So chuck the knee wraps on under mono and let's go. Yeah, well, yeah. There, there, there wasn't monos just yet. No. Uh, that came in a little bit later. So yeah, okay. First novice comp I walked out and I think the first uh, sanctioned comp I walked out as well. I'm not sure. But yeah, eventually everyone started getting monos and doing yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. It actually blows my mind that they're not just like universal in every way yeah. all the time now just from a safety standpoint like just feel like spotting that much weight and trying to carry it is dangerous yeah 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 i don't i don't know I'm, I'm kind of in two minds about like completely see that side of things uh on the other side of things like i very rarely use the model in, in training basically yeah. last six or eight weeks when it starts to get really heavy for a comp then i'll start to use it all other times i'll walk out just because i think the skill of walking out is valuable yeah i think there's probably a host of benefits in terms of like stability and just general skill that come with walking out um that doesn't mean you can't be fucking awesome without using a monolith yeah yeah um, but with using a monolith yeah um i don't know i just like walking out i guess yeah uh, but it's I like good to have both skills in case you ever need it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, like a, a couple of times, I've I've tried to make the switch back to IPF, um, and uh, it hasn't eventuated in the way that I wanted to. So I wanted yeah. to do uh, the plan this year was to do IPF Worlds equipped. Yeah, um, really wanted to do a, a single play IPF Worlds, but um, yeah, didn't end up doing that. Yeah, I did an IPF meet last year in uh, PNG. Yeah, um, so <clears throat> that was cool. So. Uh, I guess coming back a little bit in terms of a bit more uh, coaching history around me. Six years ago, November 20,000, 20, 2012, I opened up the gym, which yep. was then called PTC Gold Coast. Uh, and that's when I started getting serious about coaching people. Yep. So the gym's been going for almost seven years. Uh, I got into online coaching maybe four years ago. So in terms of powerlifting, online coaching in Australia, I was a bit of a, a forerunner in that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, I've just set myself apart in that in that medium, and, and you know, have ended up coaching a lot of the the biggest names in Australia, New Zealand, Oceania via the online method. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what's made me popular as I, a coach here internationally, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and as part of that, I've had some pretty cool gigs. So last year, I coached the uh, national Papua New Guinea powerlifting team, um, wow. and that's how I ended up doing that IPF comp over there. That was really cool. Yeah. Uh, and this year I went and did a, a, a thing over there with the IPF team in Fiji too, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, I guess a lot of my accolades around coaching have, have come from the numbers that I've produced, the kind of people I've produced. So uh, in competition, I've taken more than 50 people to 300 kilo squat, more than 50 people to 300 kilo deadlift. Um, I, my lifters have the biggest deadlift ever in Australia, both male and female raw. Uh, the biggest ever bench in Australia uh, of the like I, th- I don't know what the number is now the last time I checked it was 
just under 40 people in Oceania that have benched 500 pounds or more. Almost half of them are my lifters. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, we've had a lot of uh, big accolades with those sort of numbers. Uh, so what do you attribute <clears throat> that level of success to? Um, if the coaching is a funny thing. It's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. People become flavor of the month and then you know you start to attract strong people. So a big part of coaching a lot of strong people is that people see you strong people, coaching strong people and start coming to you. Yeah. Um, and the only, it's, you know, coaching the elite, they're going to get better no matter what you do. I think the skill to continue doing that is having a good system and process. Uh, and I think that's kind of what sets me apart of, as a coach is understanding my system, understanding the principles behind my system really well so I can apply it to any medium. Yeah. Um, I think that's what a lot of people miss in their coaching is that there's a lot of language, there's a lot of words that don't have real meaning because you know people just say it because they hear other people say it so um for example technique right technique is king everyone says technique is so important yeah what's good technique? what is technique yeah, yeah. what does good technique even mean oh yeah. well it's the safest it's the strongest it's the most efficient how do you measure safety yeah you can't how do you measure efficiency you can't really yeah you can measure strength and then what if the strongest way at that point in time isn't the safest what if the safest yeah. way isn't the most efficient yeah but so people are, oh, look at the bar part like, what does the bar path even mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, having a straight up and down bar path is really good. What if the squat that's underneath that bar path is shit? Yeah. Do you change the squat or do you just focus on the bar path? Yeah. If your bar path is really bad and I say to you, your bar path is bad, I want you to fix it this next set, can you do anything about it? Yeah. So that's see. What, yeah. a lot of people focus on this yeah. like intangible stuff that's just language yeah. uh, that doesn't really have that much meaning behind it because no one asks these questions anymore mm-hmm. you just hear people saying knees out so you're like oh knees should go up knees out yeah. without thinking what's actually happening there yeah, yeah yeah so i think um my system that i use is is being really really well thought out and it's been thought out because i'm a bit mental <laughs> I, I think i Aren't see all? Yeah, <laughs> you have to be a little bit mental to do this stuff right um i see things a little bit differently but um it's also been uh, it's progressed really fast now because I teach my system to others. Yeah. Uh, and as part of that, I have to understand my own system really, really well yeah. for that to be scalable, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We've had discussions with good coaches and it's like, sometimes they're able to just, this is kind of the layout of what I do. These are the principles I follow. And then other people are just like, I would do this. Yeah. It's like, but why? And it's like, ah, oh, cause of this and this. And it's, it's like they don't necessarily have, because they've never had to teach the system. It's just they have it in their head and they can, they're great coaches because they can make adjustments themselves, themselves, but trying to tell someone else the layout of it and the thought process behind it, it's like, oh, I can't do that. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's going to serve people really well to a point. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as you get that, you know, one in 10, one in 20, one in 100 people that you can't fix with your system because you don't understand your system. Yeah. What do you do? Do you write it off? Do you say, oh, they, they don't get it. That's yeah. on them. Or do you look at your own system and say, what am I missing here? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's what this uh, coach development thing that I've, I've created is all about. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, you ask any coach in Australia right now, uh, what's your idea of a good squat? They'll have an idea. Yeah. So they're using a system. Yeah. They're like trying to get everyone to obey this set of principles. Most people can't articulate what that is. Yeah. If we can lay that out, if more coaches understand what they're actually doing. And it's nobody's fault. Because everyone's just doing the best job they can. Mm. It's an industry problem, right? Yeah, the level of education is 
that's even available is difficult to identify what's good too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because like we can identify that. We can say there's something missing. Like yeah. you go through a PT course, you don't know how to teach a squat bench deadlift. So like, well, we do. Do we? Like what, are, what are, we're just doing yeah. what we know. Like we might know a little bit more because we practice that. But yeah. there's no book that says this is a squat, this is a bench, this is a deadlift. Yeah. We're just doing what so we see best. Yeah. So yeah, what if your one is completely different to mine? Who's right? Yeah. And therefore whose school should this person go and learn from, you know? Yeah. It's, it's an industry problem that we need to do something about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting way of looking at it. I like it. So what's your um, formal and informal, I guess, education that's led you to the system? Yeah, my uh, formal education actually has nothing to do with balancing or strength training. Bachelor of Science. Yeah, Bachelor of Health Science. My major was nutrition. Uh, I did three quarters of an honours in public health. Uh, I did a bunch of research education scholarships around <clears throat> the food system. Yep. Uh, and my professional background is working as a community nutritionist for the government. Um, so that's kind of completely unrelated. I guess I've, I've picked up a bunch of skills through that. Uh, but yeah, no no actual formal co- qualifications in exercise. Yep. Which kind of sounds a bit, I don't know. It's like, well, why the fuck would you listen to this guy? Yeah. <laughs> my education is from the streets, man. So when did the when did the shift so you obviously studied and then when did you decide that coaching was kinda what you wanted to do? Did you kinda seek it out? Did it fall into your lap? Did you seize an opportunity? It was just an accident. (laughs) (laughs) In uh in Queensland we had a change in government and the branch of Queensland Health that I was working with is preventative health, right? Like nutrition intervention is a twenty year job to reduce heart disease, to reduce hospital stress. Government doesn't see that. They see a three-year three term where it's like, we need hospital beds now. Yeah. So preventative health, get rid of that. Yeah. Right? So they started axing the nutrition workforce in, in Queensland. Um, and I kind of, I guess, predicted that that was happening. Like we could see it coming. We didn't know if our positions were safe or not. I got offered a position in Roma, which is like nine hours that way, mm-hmm. which I didn't really want to go nine hours that way. Yeah. Because there's not, not a lot. Nine, nine hours, hours that way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I was just like, all right, I'll open the gym. Okay. I, it, right. I, I told you I'm a bit mental. Like, <laughs> no, no thought process whatsoever. Just jump straight in the deep end. No business <laughs> skills, no coaching skills, nothing. Yeah. Just opened it up. Turned out I was pretty good at it. And here we are. That's awesome. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds cool. Don't do it. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs> here we are. Like, yeah. should we? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just do it. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have the skills though, right? I didn't have any idea how to train someone. I just I had to help people out in the gym. I just wing it. Just do what you do yeah. when you, someone asks you how to yeah. squat. Oh, I don't know. I just kind of like do brace and then like squeeze that and like do a squat. Yeah. You know, uh, and then because I'm just, a, I guess, a bit of a problem solving mind, see things a bit differently. I just over time just worked out what things should be and worked out my own system really quickly and just... Very self-critical uh, and analytical, you know, looked yep. at everything and was like, this isn't working, this isn't working, how do I fix this, how do I improve this, how do I get this result out of all these different people, recognize really quickly that people have different learning styles, people have different comprehensions, people have different uh, abilities, injury backgrounds, movement patterns, archetypes, all this sort of stuff. How do I make a system that works for anyone who walks in the door? Yeah. Because uh, you have hips, you have shoulders, right? Yep. Your shoulders and hips work the same as my shoulders and hips. Yeah. So therefore, there has to be something to that. There has to be rules that underpin how we move. 
how do we get those rules to be expressed by an individual, whether your femurs are this long or that long, or you're this tall or that short or this yeah. fat or that skinny, whatever it is. Um, and I guess over time it's, it's come into what it is now. Yeah, I like it. That's cool. There's so many variables within the individual. So to try and find an underlying truth between everyone is a really cool concept. I like that. Yeah, yeah, because I think too many people look at it the other way. How can I, how can I, you know, make my thing work for the individual? Yeah. And it's like, they're doing a squat, they're doing a bench, they're doing a deadlift. Yeah. They've got hips, they've got shoulders, they've got core, they've got this musculature, they've got this physiology. There's, there's more to it than that. How do we work it the other way around? How do we make a system that works for the individual? Yeah. Rather than changing everything to match the individual. Yeah. It's like people say, you know, playing to your strengths. Playing into your strengths is just avoiding your weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, focus on fixing weaknesses, create the propensity for the most progress yeah. rather than fixing what's in front of you right now. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's cool. So informal education influences, like are you um, a, a course workshop guy or are you a like YouTube consumer or a study reader? Um, I guess a bit of everything. Like nothing, the, the, the one thing that stands out to me the most when it comes to anything that I've, I've been and, and uh, done workshop wise or, or study wise outside of formal stuff is a programming workshop with Chad Wesley Smith in Melbourne maybe four years ago. Really changed my mind about how I. It's funny though. Oh, you were there? I did exactly the same thing oh, okay. last year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Really changed my view on how I was programming at the time. Yeah. Like I'd, I'd say my technique stuff from the start, I had a pretty good handle on. Um, like move fixing biomechanic patterns is just something that comes to me quite naturally, I guess. Um, and no one that I've seen from a technical perspective, as in like going to workshops with famous lifters, has actually been very valuable uh, to my education. It's been yeah. cool to see what other people are doing, and that's yeah. valuable. But there's been nothing that stands out to me like, oh, Jesus, that stand fitting workshop blew my mind in terms of how he squats. Yeah, yeah. And more just raised questions about there's something wrong in this industry, you know? Yeah. Um, but that programming one with Chad was, was unreal. Um, yeah. A lot of movement stuff from Jordan Shallows has been yeah. really good. So last year I had the opportunity to go over to the States. I, I stayed a couple of days at Chad's house and just asked endless questions yeah. about everything that he was doing. Um, I got to fly to San Francisco and spend some time with Jordan there as well and ask yeah. heaps yeah. of annoying questions and just be annoying. Um, I love the stuff from... I guess the the highest scientific community in terms of like Micah Zertel and uh, yeah. uh, from pharmaceutical stuff, Broder Chavez, like that stuff yeah. is, is gold. Like people that have the science but also have the application. The board, yeah. 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 So have you gone down the road, um, just because I know what I did after seeing Chad, was basically go home and write this enormous elaborate spreadsheet send it to him and be like, look at this fucking awesome thing I made. And he was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but since then, my kind of pathway has been like being able to quantify as much as possible in the program. So like being able to put values to stuff. So when people say why, it's like, because it comes back to this point. Is that, because obviously that's Chad's kind of thing, is that the volume landmarks and um, all of that type of stuff. Are you down that road or is it still more of a intuitive overlook of a program? I guess a bit of a blend of both. Um, like the, th the things that really changed for me uh, after that workshop and the things I started implementing was a, a lot more around like considering the volume landmark stuff. Yeah. 
um, more frequent deloading. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I could drive the volume up with the training that I was doing. Like looking back on my old programming, I thought three sets of eight was fucking ridiculous volume. Right. Because the number said eight. Yeah. yeah. I thought more than yeah. I was I, like when I started coaching, my powerlifting mindset was like more than five is not it's powerlifting. Hard, yeah. 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 Um, so I would do drop down sets and MRAPs and stuff like that in my own training and the, no purpose just because I wanted to, you know, see yeah. how many squats I can do at 140 or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but after after that workshop, so, so it, it came at a really a good time as well. Like over time, uh, when I started writing programs, my mind only existed in 12-week blocks. So yeah. 12 weeks, yeah. deload, test, comp. Yeah. Or deload, max out. That informs the next program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the volume, I, I had inherently built in like waves where I guess there was an automatic deload, but not a thought-out deload. And each time I creeped up the volume a little bit and I got to a program that I used for Nationals 2015, I had 57 lifters and I used it for almost everyone in some way, shape or form. And most of them did amazing. The best results anyone had ever gotten out of one of my programs. And then a few of the bigger, stronger guys really started to get issues towards Mm. the end. And I was like, something's up here, you know, something's not right. Went back to, you know, reading and learning a little bit more, started understanding the concept of deloads when I did that thing early the next year. And that really started to change my view on, um, on, on programming structure. And then in terms of like figuring out volume landmarks and stuff, a lot of that's just anecdotal, right? Yeah. Like, because we can sit here and say, okay, well, pick 62%, start at six sets of eight, go up 2.5% a week for four weeks and add volume here and here and here. But so much of that fatigue is going to be modulated by the other stuff that's in the program and understanding a bit more about your athletes, how you structure your program and what accessories you give. So a lot of that stuff has to come anecdotally. Yeah. Um, So I've kind of figured out a good volume formula for my system. Yeah. And imparting that on other people has to come with that caveat of like, this is all modulated by this. Yep. So if I'm, yep. when I'm teaching my coaches where to start volume-wise, I'll always start on the lower end yeah, just because I don't know what they're going to think when it comes to accessories, when it comes to volume yep. of accessories, intensity of accessories. Yeah. yeah. And even control of lifestyle factors, nutrition, and all that sort of, of shit. Of course. Too, like, makes yeah. a huge impact on... Yeah, and then that stems into like the kind of clientele that you're working with. Yeah. Like I work with, I would say, mostly competitive powerlifters. Yeah. So if I'm working with mostly competitive powerlifters, I have a better handle of what their goal is, therefore what they're going to be doing with their nutrition and all that sort of stuff. You're working with bikini competitors, you know, yeah. what they're doing with their nutrition may impact their ability to hit these volumes at these intensities. Yeah. Then you yeah. change according to that. Yeah. 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 I've got a few girls prepping for an APU meet and it's the first time I've ever prepped someone in like a hard deficit. It's like, oh fuck, this is different. Yeah. I just like rev you as hard as I want it's before the comp because you're going to burn out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just learning all those little tricks and stuff along the way. Uh-huh. It's interesting. Yeah. So your deloads intuitive or they you structure them to kind of, for them to need them? I structure them. Yeah. 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 I've, I've kind of, like I said, I've anecdotally worked out a bit of a formula, but by this point you should be desperate for a deload. Yeah. That said, um, if someone needs a deload earlier, I'll, I'll give yeah, it to them. Of course. Yeah. If I feel like they need it later, I'll still deload them at that point just because if we, the problem with doing too often, like purely intuitive deloads, in my opinion, is that uh, you can miss the mark. Mm. Like what happens when you don't deload for an extra two weeks and that person gets hurt? Yeah. Like if they yeah. don't see the signs of that coming, you don't see the signs of that coming. Um, 
I like the idea of having a bit more of a predictable formula with what I've got. And then after you're going through that formula a couple of times, you can iron out any issues and be like, oh, well, this person can actually handle a shitload more volume. Let's throw it at them. Yeah. This person can't. Let's take it away. But even based on just archetypes, history, what people are doing with their food, what their size is, what their strength level is, their strength experiences, yeah. I've worked with enough people to kind of be like, I can assume this is going to work. And yeah. like without saying sounding pompous, most of the time it just does. Yeah. Yeah, the importance of like knowing your athlete, working yeah. with enough of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just an experience thing. It's like yeah. anyone who's been doing it for a while, you guys have been doing it for a while, you know what it's like. As you get more experience, you can, you just know. Yeah, yeah. You just, you just know like this will work. Yeah. And if it doesn't, you, you know how to change it quickly so it does. Yeah, you know what's you going know, You on. know what contingencies are. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can find that. It's broken here real quick. Yeah. 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 So um, I guess backstory on kind of what we do. So we work primarily with people who are interested in getting strong, getting in shape. Um, then kind of I go down the powerlifting road, Jace goes down the bodybuilding road um, with a percentage of our clients. Mm -hmm. But we also run, we call it a liftoff. So it's just like a friendly sub-novice powerlifting meet, basically. Yeah. So be curious to, because um, I know you're pretty well-versed on the industry, you can mm -hmm. put fingers in everywhere. Um, I guess a road from whether it be a regular novice comp or like being strong in the gym and starting to think like, should you go down the powerlifting road and what are the good things about it, maybe the bad things about it um, and how to get involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love what you guys are, are doing with that because even though novice comps are designed to be like very low barrier to entry, very low risk. I think going even more local than that and having it as almost like a, a max out day for you guys. It's originally it was, what it was. It was like the yeah. trainers just wanted to like ego against each other. Each other. Each other. <laughs> and then the clients were like, can we come? Like, oh, yeah. okay, I guess we should like judge and yeah. spot make a thing stuff. <laughs> make a thing of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it makes, it reduces the barrier to entry when someone does eventually decide to, yeah. to go down whatever that road is. I think the cool thing, especially with what you guys are doing as well, like people, people like really separate powerlifting physique, uh, training mm. and athletes. Like, uh, it's like I was saying before, before my old mindset years and years ago was less than five reps of powerlifting. Anything more than that is bodybuilding. Yeah. yeah. So now my understanding is work is valuable. Work makes you bigger. Works make you stronger. Getting bigger helps get you stronger. Being yeah. stronger helps get you bigger. We spend pretty much all of our time in that zone, right? Yeah. In this sort of hypertrophy, low end strength percentage zone yep. uh, as a powerlifter. And uh, I coach a few people that have gone on to physique comps and things like that. Mm -hmm. For them, it's exactly the same. We might change yeah. it based on, you know, um, I guess the end outcome being physique based. They need a bit more accessories targeted to the what's hypertrophy in this group rather than this group. Yeah. Like I'm not going to give my powerlifters a shitload of calf work because yeah. calf aren't going to do a great deal. But if you need calves on stage, you better do some fucking calf work, right? Yeah. Um, so the cool thing about like whether you should do this or should do that, I mean, good training would suggest you have the option to do either, right? Well, yeah. And then pick which one you like the most. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's really cool to see a lot more people um, doing a bit more of a, a crossover, especially you don't see it a great deal in, in uh, males, but I'm seeing a lot of females that do like WBFF comps and powerlifting yeah. comps yeah. Yeah. Uh, or whatever other federations yeah. there are for that um, stuff yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, yeah i mean like i wish i could give like a really straight up answer about 
what you should choose, but what you should choose is just what you like. And don't close yourself off. Don't don't label yourself. I'm a powerlifter, therefore I can't diet and look good on stage. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm, I'm always dieting to look good on stage, therefore I can't be strong. Of course, yeah. you can do both. Yeah, we right? banter a lot about it, but at the end of the day, it's just a joke, and we just muck around, hanging shit on each yeah. other. It's like, you know, you you lift weights to get bigger. You lift weights to get stronger. You diet to do either or both. Yeah. It's like there's no point in having these camps where there's powerlifters, bodybuilders, whatever, because there's people out there doing both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the sport, they're usually muscly and strong. Yeah. Who would have thought? And I would say, like, <laughs> given how long you've been in the sport, like, the shift from powerlifting moving into, like, better body composition For ranges sure. anyway. Like, if you're not in good shape, you're giving away a lot of muscle mass to the person that is next to you on the day. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, in terms of uh, what's good and what's bad about powerlifting, I mean, what's good is the community. If you've ever been around powerlifters and, and powerlifting comps, the community is very close-knit. It's very supportive. Um, <laughs> like it's, it's funny. It's a bit of a joke, but it's kind of true. Um, I guess the, the game day community for a powerlifter is you're well-fed, so you're happy. Yeah. The game day community of a physique athlete <laughs> yeah, is that yeah. everyone's really fucking hungry, <laughs> so they're probably not as fun and pleasant to be around. Yeah, um, I, I bet there's an element of truth in that. It um, certainly is, trust me. Uh, but um, yeah, the, the powerlifting community is very, despite how a lot of powerlifters, uh, I guess, appear, mm. is very non-threatening, very inviting. I mean, in any community, there's going to be assholes and yeah. wherever you go, right? So there are some assholes in powerlifting, but there's assholes fucking everywhere. Uh, the majority of the people are really cool. What's bad about powerlifting? If I had to pick a, the biggest negative about powerlifting at the moment uh, in Australia is just the federation situation. That was my next question. It's just abysmal, you know, um, which has kind of dictated my career, if I could call it a career, mm. my work path at the moment. I just want nothing to do with the federation side of things. Don't get me wrong. There's fucking awesome comps in all federations. PA just ran their Nats, fucking awesome show. GPC had their nationals a few weeks ago, awesome show. APU nationals in November in Perth, that's going to be an amazing show. Like every, yeah. APL, uh, new federation in Australia, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a big part of the future of Australia. Yeah. yeah. If these guys have their nationals next month, there's 20, 20 grand of prize money that the, the federation's putting up. So they're putting a lot Shit. of work. He's based on the Gold Coast and he's... Probably one of my favorite people in powerlifting at the moment. He has a really good yeah. heart for the sport. So I can only hope that they do really well. But that fracturing in such a small community, mm. like total powerlifters in Australia, maybe 2,000. Yeah. 2,500 tops, absolutely yeah. tops. Like two, five feds or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 2,000 powerlifters registered. Competing would be even a lot less than that, right? Yeah. Um, so very small population across too many feds. It's just, it, it, it kind of dilutes the competition a little bit. Yep. Um, so once you start to get to the upper echelons, the upper ranks, um, it becomes, a, a, I guess, a little bit disheartening mm -hmm. uh, that you're going to be limited by this bickering at a political level. Yeah. Uh, but that's, I guess it's a biased view because I see that bickering. Yeah. Uh, I, I, excuse me, I get exposed to the politics. If you're a lefty, you're probably never going to see... So you'll yeah. hear anything to do with that. Maybe whispers, but that's about it. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, like on the ground, everyone at the local level is doing a really good job at making powerlifting cool. So yeah. that's cool. So someone's come in, they've done our lift off, they've totaled okay, um, and they're like, look, I want to look at getting involved with powerlifting some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. What would be the first steps um, getting involved? 
the I, I would generally say do a novice comp. If you've done something like your comp, that'd be a logical next step. However, if you've done your your setup, it's pro- they could probably bypass that and jump straight into a, a sanctioned comp. Yeah. In terms of picking a federation, the the easiest way to get a I guess a handle of what's out there and what's good, go watch a few. Spectating's yeah. free. Go watch, see what you like. Yeah. Um, most people just end up going with their friends. Go. Yeah. That was it for me. Everyone thinks, oh, started in PA, then he went GPC something. It's like. I went to that comp and I had fun. Yeah. It wasn't a reflection on PA as a federation that I didn't have fun at their first few comps. Yeah. I'm a pretty shy guy. Like I went to the comps. I probably didn't do a good job at putting myself out there. Yeah. And I didn't feel very welcome because it was a smaller community. When I went to the other one, it just so happened that there were a bunch of people that were like, hey man, oh wow, yeah, cool. You know? Yeah. Uh, and I felt a bit more loved and then I made friends and then just stuck with my friends. Yeah. Like it's nothing like, PA shit, GPC's great. Just like I went and lifted with my friends. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for, for people like that are involved in, in your lifting days, so their friends will probably go off and do competitions and they'll probably just follow each other, right? Yeah. In terms of like assessing what's out there, again, just go watch some, see what you like, see what appeals to you. Don't get caught up in the finer details of comps until you're like right into a federation yeah. lifting. And don't don't be afraid to swap. Mm. People think once you, you lock into one, you're locked in. That's not how it works. Yeah. You can swap, chop and change as much as you like. Yeah. Yeah. My girls are just, they see the bruises from racks and they're like, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm be one of the ones that doesn't have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't put wraps on my legs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So obviously, um, I guess we've named most of the federations um, already. So go along, you pick one. Obviously, like we need to register and then enter mm-hmm. that type of thing. Yep. Be aware of what the rules are for a start. Yeah. Read the rule book. Have a good handle of that. Understand what equipment you are and are not allowed. Yeah, uh, especially it's brand own. specific, right? For most of them, no, no, no. For most of them, it's not brand specific. Okay, the only one that's brand specific now is IPF, so APU. Mm-hmm. Um, PA has done away with the brand specific stuff. Okay, um, most of them are spec specific. So yeah, when we're talking about spec specific, brand specific, it's talking about the equipment, soft suits, belts, knee wraps, wrist wraps, whatever it may be. Um, no, most of them are spec specific, which is really cool because yeah. most people already have that stuff and yeah, it sucks to get something else. Yeah, yeah. you don't want to spend another 20 bucks <clears throat> on a set of sleeves so you can compete in this one federation where you have to pay 100 and something bucks to register, have to pay 60 bucks for the comp, have to pay to get there or whatever it is. Yeah. You know? uh, the less money, the less barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. But understand what equipment you're allowed. Like, no powerlifting uh, federations allow you to wear those thick at the back, thin at yeah. the front belts with padding. A lot of people yeah. just rock up with their belt and they're like, oh no, I can't wear my belt. Yeah. Just understand what's out there and what you need to do. Um, have a good understanding of the rules. Like if you're training with people like you, you guys are going to impart that on them way yeah. before they get to the course. Yeah. So they don't have to think about that. But if someone's watching this and doesn't have a coach or doesn't have a guide, just go through a rule book, understand your calls, go watch your comp, understand what's going on, understand yeah. the flow. Um, that said, I mean, again, Palafin community is really cool. If you go there on the day, someone's going to guide you through. If you're unsure, yeah. just ask someone. People yeah. there are pretty cool. Ask the meet director. Most meet directors give a bit of a spiel as to what's going to go on during the day. Mm-hmm. Ask them. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you don't have a coach like the Novice Comp, it's a great place to start because they usually ran by the head coach of the gym and yeah. they're happy to coach you for the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it happen a lot. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's one of the best things about the Novice Comps. <clears throat> So what about, um, so we opened up a little can then just about like if you didn't have a coach. So if there's people at home that are looking for a coach and maybe doing these lift-offs and the novice stuff or competing intrigues them, like what are some things that you would 
just say to look for when picking a coach or a gym or anything like that? Yeah, well, don't look at the number of followers on Instagram because that, <laughs> that does not relate to any level of skill whatsoever. Uh, look at the look at the the people that this person coaches. Yeah, look at one. the quality of the people. Look at the consistency across the board. If this person coaches 20 people and every squat looks completely different, they're probably not teaching a consistent message, right? If every squat looks exactly the same, they have a consistent message that they can translate then to any person who comes to them. So look for consistency in technique. Look for consistency in results. Because uh, every coach is going to put themselves out there as a good coach. Yeah. No, there's no coach marketing themselves. Hey, I'm a really shit coach. I've got hardly any clients. <laughs> yeah, I'm really bad right? at all these things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so come, come beat my test, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Look for someone who's producing consistent results. Look at the quality of their lifters kind of uh, in terms of integrity. Like, uh, I mean, as, as much as it sucks to say, oh, it sucks to say, kind of sucks to say, your lifters are a, a reflection of your business as a coach, right? Yeah. Um, so if, if they're saying stupid stuff about meats, if they're slandering meat directors and slandering this, this, it might be a reflection back to the coach that that coach isn't encouraging that behavior, little things like that. But I mean, that's kind of down the list. The biggest thing is consistency in technique, consistency in results. Yeah. And the two kind of go hand in hand. So look at their lifters. Don't look at them necessarily. Yeah. That's, that's gold. You know, I think all forms of coaching, Mm. like even into physique and stuff as well, it's like, don't pick the biggest guy. Pick the guy with the best consistent results with their clients. Yeah, that's right. It's 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 interesting having I guess um, climbed the ladder in terms of of coaching uh, and coaching people that then become coaches and coaching people that coach coaches as well. You know, mm. being uh, it's funny that um, uh, no matter what you do out there, there's still a big attitude around like, if this person's strong and looks good, they're a good coach. Yeah, yeah. Go to that yeah. person. And I'm not denying that those people might not be yeah, a good There's a tiny bit of validity, maybe. Of course. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's funny that people will pick X coach when that coach has a coach that's producing that result and not bypass them and go to that other person. Yeah. Not saying that's, that, that's, that's what you should do. Yeah, you, yeah. Your freedom as a consumer, but it's just yeah. interesting that there's still a lot to be said for, is the coach practicing what they preach? Mm. Uh, yeah. Like, I don't believe a coach necessary has to be the biggest, best-looking, greatest lifter there is, strongest lifter there is. But they should be practicing what they, they preach. Yeah. They should be able yeah. to articulate the things that they're coaching other people through their own lifting or performance or appearance or whatever it may be as well. Yeah, I think um, it's probably important to send the message, that, you know, like the message you were talking about, like technique and the yeah. results. Like, there's still a message as a coach that you need to send, whether it's through walking the walk and you know delivering information or how you present yourself at meets or a combination of all of those like that's part of that leading from the front and what people should what people should you know consider when looking at a coach Mm -hmm. is you don't necessarily have to be in tip-top shape or be the strongest person out of all your clients but yeah you just need to have consistencies in all of those areas yeah yeah i think that's really important i it's a, it's a funny question to ask me as well because I've never had a coach. I've never been coached in lifting. I've never, never had a PT. I've never had a powerlifting coach. Nothing yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and what I would look for a coach, like when, when you say what would you look for in a coach or something like that, what I think is the things that I try to be, which, you know, we all carry these inherent biases. It's like I'm trying to be the best coach I can. So that's the kind of things that I would say go look towards this kind of person. Like yeah. you're going to be completely forthright with that. But one big thing that I, I try to do my best and that I think is very valuable. Look for a coach who's professional. 
Mm. Like, if there's someone Very that's easy. conducting themselves really poorly, if there's someone that's always, like, talking about, like, really in-depth personal stuff on their on their social media, that's their direct advertising source, you know? Yeah. Like, if they're claiming that this is my Thomas Lilly coaching page, and on that page I'm saying, you know, don't go to the Pride Festival because yeah those people are not good people or whatever like yeah, yeah like yeah. If it's, look at the quality of a person and, and how much effort they're putting into making sure that they're representing their brand well yeah yeah uh, because that probably lines up with the quality of what they're producing as yeah well. yeah what always amazes me is like when we do run the liftoffs and we have people from different gyms come together and then like i've got quite a few clients that I, i've never met until they come to the day for their online clients or whatever they get in a room together and by the end of the day they're all like best friends like we go out and eat afterwards and they like get their own table it's like obviously there's something within my message that attracts that group of people Mm. um so i think there's a big and i'm curious if you agree that there's a big element of the relationship with the coach as well like on a personality level to get buy-in and that kind of stuff so like i feel like it would be hard to train with a coach if you didn't get along with them some way at least yeah for sure there's that um that that personal relationship between coach and client is an interesting thing uh like in my coaching career uh i haven't built my coaching on like doing 40 hour weeks in person sessions yeah the the most i've ever done is like 10 Mm -hmm. a lot of my uh, coaching accolade has been built online yeah and the personal relationship you have with someone online is very different to yeah. what you have in person. Yeah. Um, and I do believe that the that personal connection, that has to work. Otherwise, the person's not going to respect you. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to have rapport with you. Um, but that's the mark of a good coach and a good teacher as well. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to connect with whoever walks in that door. Yeah. There's always going to be people you can't connect with on some sort of personal level, but you should be able to connect with them on a coaching level. You don't have to be best friends. Yeah. Uh, but it opens an interesting can of worms because I always find it, find the the crossover between personal and business really interesting in this little coaching world. Yeah, yeah. It's like people are scared to leave bad coaching because they've become friends with them. They're yeah. scared of fracturing yeah. a relationship. Yeah, and it's, it's like, like a breakup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 I've had clients even say that that like they have to leave. It's like, oh, I feel like this it is horrible. Like, that's right. Yeah. Like, it happens. There's so many horror yeah. stories out there as well. Of like what coaches will do when someone leaves them and the stuff they say they're like jesus yeah when someone leaves me because it doesn't matter what level of coach you are people are going to leave mm-hmm. you're yeah. going to move people are going to stop training people are going to not feel like your services are best for them they're going to go on and, and, and move on yeah. it's like all you can do is wish them all the very best yeah. yeah and then if you feel like they've left because it's your service you need to self-reflect and you know grow your service from that yeah that's yeah. but that that personal thing is so interesting yeah. sorry to, to kind of derail what the original question was um, but it, yeah, I, I, that personal relationship is is really important. Mm. Um, you have to be selective about as a coach as well, if, especially if you're in uh, in uh, an in person environment where it's pretty close knit. Because you start getting really friendly with a couple of people and not very friendly with other people, people start to feel yeah. left out. And that's yeah. what I mean by like, you, as a coach, you really have to wear this different hat of like. This is coach me and then personal me is over here. Yeah. And you have to be really selective about who you let see and interact with that personal me. Yeah. Um, because it, it can really 
hurt or hinder your business if you, if you don't. Yeah. Uh, and vice versa, as a client, if you're looking for a coach and you see they're really clicky with two or three of these people, uh, but don't give you the time of day that you need in that coaching relationship and you feel like you're getting a short end of the stick, then mm. what you can do, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so any other considerations? I'm always curious, like if people have strength standards that they like to look for, maybe before they throw a client into a competition at that like real basement end? Nah, nah. I don't like the idea of strength standards. Like yeah. you should have to squat your body weight or twice your body weight or, or whatever. Like why would we discourage someone from having a go? Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and certainly the same thing with entering your first sanction comp. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the same with like people who will train a female differently to a male. It's like, I, I base everything on experience level rather than male yeah. or female or strength, absolute strength. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's more relative to like strength potential or mm. experience. Like if you get someone from grassroots and they're squatting with 20 kilos yeah. and now they can squat 80 kilos yeah. but they're 140 kilo dude. Yeah. It's like, well, the quadrupled their squat. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Like you're ready. Go do yeah, it. You yeah. know? Um, so yeah, no, yeah, you'll... It's more after, after a measure of like, can they do... 1RM safely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is that is that how you would look at it? Based um, on that like yeah, progression? That, that would be more of an experience level, more of a technical proficiency level. Yeah. Like if if you're being programmed, you know, 80% it looks like complete garbage, I'm not going to put you in a one rep max situation. Yeah, yeah. Like you have to have... And then it's up to the coach's discernment to be like, we'll let you one rep max, but it won't be a max. We'll let you one yeah. rep, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd say if you can if you can adhere to the comp standards, if you can squat to depth mm. with half decent technique, if you can touch your chest, pause it, and press it back up on a bench with half decent technique, and you can deadlift with half decent technique, you're okay to do a comp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whether or not you should go balls to the wall is another question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be able to play it a little bit smart. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like kids. It's similar to kids, right? I don't know if you guys ever coach like little kids. Um, but for example, like at our last uh, piano women's novice comp not too long ago, there's a little eight-year-old girl that wanted to do it. So she has her own little training bar. She trains with mum at home. So we let her come and yeah. come and deadlift. But if she she pulled like 35 kilos or something like that, if she wanted to pull 50, you would be like, yeah, probably not. Yeah, yeah it's not as fun at that. Yeah, it wasn't great. Yeah. But relative to her ability at that point in time, it was, it was perfectly yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah, we had a couple of like 12 and 13-year-olds. There's nothing, yeah. no yeah. issue with doing that. It's really up to the... I guess the coach and, and or the guardian, the person looking after that sort of person yeah. as to whether or not they should be doing that thing. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a young team that does ours. It's just like the third attempt still like RPE eight. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. <laughs> um, but he's like pretty strong too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. For his size. It's good to see young kids being allowed to lift. Yeah. Like, cause there's that, it's all those, you know, mixed stuff about. Yeah. 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 Like, I think oh, I use that I use that for ages until they got debunked. I was like, I'm just short. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I started lifting earlier. But uh, there's just like huge fear behind, you know, getting younger generations to lift them. It's good to see that if it's just coached in a really easy, a good, like efficient manner yeah. and they don't top them out and fatigue them and hurt them, that, yeah. you know, they can actually do it and start early. I would yeah. love to have started when I was 12 or something. Mm. I have this. I have this kid that train. He's a, he goes to the USA for a football scholarship this this week. Actually, in a couple of days, he trained here from like the second month I opened. Right. Yeah. So he started when he was thirteen, and he's twenty whatever now. Yeah. Um, 
Granted, when he was 13, he was six foot one and 160 kilos. So this was a, a big child. Yeah. Like, he was playing grade level rugby and then switched to gridiron when he was 14 and a half. Uh, and we had him doing powerlifting comps pretty early. Yeah. It's like putting him under a, a bar that's at an RP8 or something like that is far less risky than throwing him out onto a rugby field. Yeah, running full health <laughs> into someone, yeah? yeah? Yeah. Yeah, on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to put it in context. Like yeah, that. so. That, that's how I look at powerlifting as a whole anyway. We're a very safe and controlled sort yeah. of environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Comparatively, it's a pretty low injury sport. Oh, for sure. Like people look at it and think, oh, it's so dangerous. But it's like, go and play, like for the girls, go and play a game of netball on the weekend or go just go watch and see how many people get injured versus yeah. at football and stuff. Like not that many serious injuries happen at powerlifting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure, I've yeah. had very few injuries happen in the gym over the years, uh, and plenty of these kids that go and play other sports, or adults that come go and play other sports, walk in with a limp, be like, oh, God, yeah, got wasted on the weekend or whatever. Yeah, and it's just that predictability and that control factor. Yeah, you know, if we fail a squad, there's three guys around us to catch us. Yeah, yeah. 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 You don't really get that when you've got balls and people flying at you from every direction. Yeah, the three ones who actually physically hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm always curious with the idea of like. The success leads clues. So having trained so many high level athletes, what do you think are the common traits across that group? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, because it's something that, that I think about a lot from uh, like the flip perspective. It's like, uh, you guys know, Will, obviously he's been on the podcast. Everyone always asks him after pro roller, like without fail, we'll come back to the gym. Everyone always asks him, what do you think about before you last did? You know, you're pulling a win or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then he has to formulate what he's thinking about, right? So he'll say, okay, well, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about like my setup, my cues, and going through that. And that's what he'll say. Mm. But that comes to him naturally. Yeah. No one has to tell him you should think like this. So when you ask someone something like that, they're going to say, well, it's the same thing with like, uh, you know, high level entrepreneurs. They'll say, oh, I visualize about this daily. Yeah. No, they don't have to think about visualizing. It just happens, right? Yeah. So I think that's a common theme amongst um, higher level lifters uh, they want it and they don't they can't control how bad they want it mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah. it's just there it's just pre-programmed there uh, outside of that though it's it's funny like I wish there was some more commonalities but there's not a great deal yeah like you get some people that are really hypochondriac for example really scared of getting hurt and then some people at the top end that are just no sense of risk whatsoever. <laughs> Put their body 200% on the line to get the result that they want. Yeah. Uh, some people are just, you know, freaky giant's blood, you know, strong. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think there's some mindset stuff around like that whole idea of wanting it really bad. That's probably the most common theme, but that's about the best answer I can give. Yeah. Yeah. So at that top level, um, percentage is probably the wrong word, but like, how many people do you see just freaks the day they walk in the door? Like nature versus nurture versus how many like just do everything right for a long enough period of time that they make it to the top? Yeah, that's another good question. Um, I would say more on the side of the freaks side. Mm. Like especially with the growth and expansion of strength sports, it's just kind of, uh, you know, weeded out stronger people because yeah. it's so much more accessible. It's like, people start doing CrossFit or F45 and they realize that everyone's struggling to pick up this way and I'm doing it for 10 reps. Yeah. Like maybe there's something more to it. 
oh, there's this strongman or there's this powerlifting, we'll go try that and they find out they're freaks, right? Yeah. Um, I think there's a big part of that. But by the same token, there's there's definitely a, a big nurture aspect that comes with it. You know, you guys know who Matt Stenzel is? Mm-hmm. Me and Matt have been lifting around the same time. And we came from a very similar strength background. Matt was far more equipped early on, I was, I was raw. But both of us are not particularly freaky strong, but have been working hard consistently for 10 years and now we're yeah. kind of strong. Yeah. Uh, so there's definitely people at the top um, the, the hard thing is there's these freaks that pop out of nowhere or, or become popular that might have been sitting, you know, 10th rank, 11th rank, 12th rank for years and start to yeah. creep up the top and you don't know about them because you don't follow those ranks. You yeah. Know? Um, so from an external view, there's far more freaks. I think I'm from a, a more inside perspective, I'd probably put it like 70, 30, maybe yeah, 60, yeah. 40, something like that. Yeah. 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 Who's the freakiest you've trained? Yeah. Um, no, you train Dylan. Yeah, I want to say I want to say Dylan. Dylan's yeah. definitely way up there. Yeah, he's he's very freaky. Um, but Jason Semler is something else. Yeah, Jason Semler's the strongest bencher ever yeah. uh, in Australia. He's he benched two ninety in the gym raw. He's done two eighty five in comp. Um, and this is just a gym bro, like a legitimate certified gym bro. So I knew him from my old commercial gym. Yeah, yeah. Like when I was like twenty. And for years, I was like, come and, come and do some stuff, man. I'm into powerlifting. You'll be the best. You're already the best in the gym. <laughs> like, there's, there's no one in the country benching more than you. Come do it in the comp. It took him so long. He's like, I'm not strong enough. Not strong enough. Not strong enough. And even then, even now, he's still like that. He'll yeah. be like, I can't do another comp till I can bench 300 in the gym. Like, That's the reason you're not benching 300. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you're yes. stuck in your shitty gym doing shitty training. But <clears throat> when I coached him, like, it was very much me uh, controlling the animal. Not the other way around, yeah. you know? It wasn't like, I'm taming the animal, the animal is in my cage, and I can kind of feed him when I want to feed him, and, like, yeah. control what he attacks. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's the, we ran a novice comp, and dead the form-ups was still loaded on the bar. It was 120. Walked in the door cold and strict curled 120 for three reps. Like, no warm-up. Just for fun. Jesus. He's the kind of guy that, before a big bench session, one of my silly boys downstairs was like, I bet you can't strict curl the the 55 like on the preacher he's like a better can i'm like don't do it you're gonna fuck your bench session he's like no i have to do it i'm just grab it overhead press like incredible. 180 just for fun yeah doesn't train he'd never deadlifted in his life picked up 270 cold he's just a freak like if he could train if he did train properly it'd be he'd be the best best bencher in the world guarantee yeah. fuck that's incredible. crazy that's yeah. that's probably the freakiest person yeah I've ever known. And do you have another end of the spectrum? Someone that's like just chipped away and chipped away and chipped away and got an impressive result. Oh. Uh, Matt, Matt definitely comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, granted, I haven't coached Matt from the start. I've yeah. coached Matt on and off for the last few years consistently for about the last year. Um, but he's a, a lifter that comes to mind that, that has very much just been chipping away consistently for years and years and years. Yeah. And uh, yeah, is, is freaky strong. Um, Jen Smith as well. You guys know Jen Smith. She's a, a sixty kilo lifter. She came yeah. third. She's podium pro roll every year yeah. for the last yeah, okay. three yeah. or four years. I was um, like, just had to process because I know the Instagram handle. Yeah, I'm like Palace I know that Diary. name, but that's not what I think. Her yeah, name is. <laughs> yeah. I don't know exactly how long. World. <laughs> I don't know exactly how long she's been training for, but she trains really fucking hard. Yeah, I, not many people work that hard, and yeah, yeah. her progress isn't. Uh, particularly fast, but her work ethic is 
enormous. Yeah. yeah. It's jacked. Mm. Very. Yeah. Very. How hard is it to, to tame your athletes, like, lifting, like, just more than they, or just trying to, yeah, like, not have them max out and all that kind of stuff? Like, yeah, or just lift, lift out within the parameters of, like, your coaching? Uh-huh. Uh, I guess that would be probably a better question. Yeah. See, yeah I got... Some of our clients are mine. Yeah, I'll set them uh, weights or even RPE, depending on what the program is, and then they just like exceed it. And I'm like, "All right, we're going to pay for this in two weeks." And then <laughs> yeah. two weeks, they're like, "Oh, this hurts. I'm tired. I didn't get. I didn't lift this much." So I just want to know, I guess, from someone with your experience, like, is it just something that always happens? And if you can manage it, how do you manage it? Yeah, yeah. I, this this is kind of like feeding into what I said right at the start of it becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, I guess. Like I'm in the very privileged position now that when people come to me, mm-hmm. uh, they trust me already. Yeah. So they kind of do what I say. I don't get a lot of these like random one rep maxes anymore. But certainly on the way up, there was a lot of that sort of <laughs> stuff. And certainly fucking guilty. Like, <laughs> it's like, like I just wanted to see how much I lifted today. I'm like, yeah, yeah that's not the plan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Like Cinco de Mayo, May the 5th. Guzman does $5 burritos, right? Yeah. This is three years or four years ago. It's just like, okay, well, $5 burritos. Let's just max out deadlifts and get burritos. <laughs> Perfect excuse. So, <laughs> coach over here decides to make everyone max out. I fucking cooked my back, uh, but we all had burritos. Yeah. But anyway, like, uh, I think, well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I think a big thing is, uh, you know, as a coach, you really have to, you're a salesman of your own method, right? Yes. You have to be really good at convincing this person that what you're telling them to do is of value mm-hmm. uh, and convincing them of, of what's going to happen at the end. It's, that's an interesting contrast I can paint like uh, with the experience that I have is that people find the gym, powerlifting and Gold Coast, find the gym, contact me, hey, I want to learn how to do powerlifting, I'm pretty strong, whatever, I squat, you know, 180 kilos, but fuck yeah, come in. Uh, so they'll, they'll come in and as I have to win their report because they don't know who I am. Yeah. They don't know my experience. Yeah. So yeah. I have to be confident in, in the way that I present my system and convincing convincing in the way that I present my system for them to have any, you know, faith that it's going to work and to trust it and to follow it. Um, so I think you have to be convincing at that. Yeah. Um, and then no matter how convincing you are, there's always going to be people that don't follow it. I kind of have like a... a, a, a I guess a two strike rule. It's like you do it once. I'll be like, this is going to happen. I'm good at predicting things. Like, like with your lifted max out. Okay. You did this in week three. Okay. Week five, the week before a deload, you're going to feel like shit. Guarantee it. Then they'll see it happen. They'll be like, fuck, you're right. Yeah. Uh, If they do it again, I'll have another chat like that. You know, just say, this is why you shouldn't do it. And if they decide to do it again, it's like, you can learn it. Like mm. go max out go do something go cut five kilos before you come if, you, if I've already told you twice that it's stupid yeah. and you want to do it here's your chance to find out why I'm saying it's stupid yeah 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 um, yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm very much a soft coach like I'm very yeah. nice and encouraging because that's what I believe a coach should be I'll never be Definitely. a hard ass but I've got a, a limited amount of time that I can give someone who's not going to listen right yeah uh, so I'll tell them what, exactly what's going to happen they can either listen or find out for themselves yep Okay. Yeah, sweet. All right, so um, I know you're moving into the education space mm-hmm. as well now. Um, so what's the course that you're putting together? Who's it for? What's kind of the outcomes people would expect from that? Yeah, yeah. So one of the most uh, common questions that I got as I started getting a bit more popular is what you guys asked at the start. Like, what's your education? Where, yeah. where do you learn how? How do I learn how to become a powerlifting coach like you? 
I mean, where do you guys go? Where do you learn? Mm. There's nothing, right? There's nothing in Australia. There's nothing in New Zealand. You can go do the ASCA course, but that's very much more conditioning for sports-based yeah. rather than a deeper understanding of uh, power sports, I guess. Yeah. Um, besides that, there's really nothing on offer in the country. Um, so I had a lot of coaches wanting to learn from me and I wasn't confident in teaching them uh, because I wasn't secure enough in my methods. Yeah. So people who I'd already been coaching as lifters for a while that were coaching as well, uh, a few of them asked and I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start to develop a system and try and impart on them the stuff that I know. And it was very informal at first. It was just like, you know, we have a chat and just kind of talk about what I can help them with, you know? Yeah. Oh, what do you think of this program? Oh, what about this aspect of technique? Then I was like, we need something more formal than this because more and more people are asking, unprompted. I never spoke about it publicly. Yeah. I, even the system that I've got now, I've spoken about publicly twice mm -hmm. and it got so much attention. Um, so I started thinking, okay, well, there's something to this. Uh, I love the education stuff as well. I love presenting workshops and um, talking about systems and all that sort of stuff. Excuse me. So I um, uh, mapped out, I guess, a year-long uh, development system, um, and then I took a whole bunch of people through that as a pilot, uh, and now I've got a bunch more people that have come on board with that. So it's a year-long program uh, that's split into three modules. Module one is the principles, so understanding the principles behind what we do when it comes to technique, programming, stability, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Number two is the coaching module, which is how do we then take those principles? Because you can be the smartest guy in the world and movement and all that stuff. But if you can't get a person to actually articulate that, if you can't speak that language, how are you going to make any change? So the next module is the actual coaching aspect, teaching people how to lift, understanding uh, how to create a pathway from base level stability work all the way up to the main lift to get outcomes and to get people moving and all that sort of stuff. Uh, building programming, applying programming to different scenarios, blah, blah, blah. Um, then module three is just very specific. It's like, how do we then take all that knowledge and understanding of how to build strength, how to build sides, and apply it to powerlifting? Yeah. Yeah, because powerlifting is very much the afterthought. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, to be good at powerlifting and powerlifting coaching, you have to understand the principles behind it all. You yeah. have to be able to apply it. And then turning that into powerlifting becomes easy. Because then with that knowledge and understanding, you don't have to apply it to powerlifting. Apply it to weightlifting. Apply it to bodybuilding. Apply it yeah. to physique sports or rugby or any other sort of power sport, you know? Um so that's been really cool. Yeah. The, uh, the whole thing is kind of based around the idea of like, uh, we measure strength through particular movements, generally squat, bench, deadlift. Um, the way we articulate and express that strength is through the performance of that movement, i.e. your technique. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of starts with technique as the tip of the pyramid because every choice you make as a coach, how you teach a lift, how you rationalize a lift, how you understand how to fix the lift, how you then program for that lift, how you select accessories, comes back to how do you perform a squat, how do you perform yeah, a match, yeah. how do you perform a deadlift. So it's kind of mapped out like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I've got about 30 people, 27 at the moment, who are going through that process and have been for about six months, something yep. like that. Nice. Uh, and I'm just about ready to kind of put it out there to the world a little, nice. a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, that's really good. Awesome. Because as you guys can appreciate, uh, one thing we need more of in this is a bit more solidarity <coughs> around how to actually teach this stuff. Yeah. 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 Like Otherwise. one thing we found after doing maybe approaching 10 years of workshops and seminars and podcasts and YouTube videos and stuff, it's like there's lots of cool shit and you hear people say lots of cool shit, but like, what does that mean for me as a coach on Monday? Yeah. What does it mean for my clients on Monday? Like mm -hmm. what does it actually allow me? 
Um, so it's cool to see that's, that's what we've, I guess the idea that we based our academy on is like, what can I give you the principle? And then here's a method that you can go and do right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Which sounds like it's a similar kind of overlap in terms of the idea is when you walk away, you can actually apply it. For sure. Than than just, no. Yeah. Yes. Not the other dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have to be able to explain it. Yeah. So there's a lot of like going deeper into definitions and stuff like that. Like, yeah. I don't know if you guys saw the story I put up yesterday about the stretch reflex. Yes, that's like the perfect example of language that isn't understood and this misunderstood interpretation of what this concept is is then applied to technique yeah. and it's like the two don't match up. Yeah. So it's just like you understand this but this isn't true and you're using it to inform this so therefore this has to be fundamentally yeah. flawed. Yeah, uh, that's that's the kind of stuff I want to debunk and get out of the yeah, you know, get out of the industry. I guess so. I like and like you guys are saying, you know, the idea of being able to take something home and actually apply it, mm. you can't do that if you go to a one day course, right? Yeah, you, this has to be ongoing education where you can actually sink this stuff in. Yeah, that's why we don't get a physicist degree in two weekends. Yeah, yeah. no, it has yeah. to be a longer term period of learning, understanding, applying. Yeah. So, how do we find you? Instagram, podcast, yeah, yeah, what's going on the gym. Instagram, me personally is at Tombro Seven. Uh, the gym is or the coaching is zero underscore weakness. Mm -hmm. Thomas Lilly on Facebook, zero weakness on Facebook as well. Uh, I do have a podcast, uh, Peak Speak. My friend John Sheridan. It's very much more uh, powerlifting esque. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, really just an outlet for us to be salty about stuff. An, ex no, an extreme it. level of dry humor. That's the best way to describe that podcast. That's I love the, it. Best way to, to describe me in general. Um, no, we try and be informational as much as we can. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's no other Instagram accounts? What was the one? Frustrating um, strength coach. Yeah. That's not me. Everyone thinks it's me. Yeah, yeah. We got, asked, we got asked to ask you if that was yeah, you. No, Maybe. no, no, no. Or ask about him anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I do mingle with a lot of these uh, meme accounts, but uh, yeah, no, I, I have to so disappoint there you go, you guys. It's not me. Not the frustrating strength coach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the thing to walk away with is if it was me, was I just going to say it on your podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Give us the insight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think worthwhile just following Tom for the um, the airplanes and the road <laughs> he's got at the moment I don't know if you've seen them it's just like oh. sitting with all the people that and it's gold there's okay. a lot a lot of good ones going in there um, so make sure that he's keep coming yeah big fan big fan um, awesome thanks so much for yeah. having us in the gym chat and jumping on the mm. episode no, yeah, thanks for appreciate having it. Yeah. cheers make sure you guys go and give Peak Speak a listen obviously um, shows Tom Thomas some love on whatever social account you're on. Yeah. So, see you next time. See you guys.